Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Salatu vesselamu ala Resulillah ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve men vela. Allahumma salli ve sallim ve zelu barik ala Sayyidina Muhammed. So we were around the area of 51. That much we can say for sure. And we were in this topic of the two categories of knowledge. Uh, two categories of knowledge of the here of the path of the hereafter. So on 48 at the bottom he starts to say, "Qalul musannifu rahimahullahu ta'ala wa nafa'allahu iyyahu bi 'ilmihi fi darin amin." If you were to say set forth for me in detail what the knowledge of the path of the hereafter entails and point out its basic features even though it may not be possible to delineate completely its specifics, know then that it entails two categories, the knowledge of unveiling and min mukashafa and the knowledge of practical conduct and mu'amalat. So we started to get into this idea of ilman mukashafa, the idea of, you know, what is this knowledge of unveiling? And uh, we talked about it as, you know, relating to a knowledge that sits in the heart that is uh, essentially exper- experiential. So it's not something you can really, it's, it's hard to put words on it because it's like, that's why in, in these kind of books they always say, they give the example of honey, that if you were to you know, ask someone, can you tell me what honey tastes like? And they can give you like some sort of, if you're a really expert in, I guess like you've trained your taste buds really accurately and you can you can you know some people are like really good at that i guess in wine and in coffee and stuff like that but even still there's a limit to what you can describe and at the beyond that limit it's only what you can experience and so essentially what he's getting at here is that there is a type of knowledge that is a knowledge that you experience in your heart and there's a limit to how you can describe it there's just you know so he says in 49, after the um, poet poetry, it says, It is the knowledge of the people of veracity and those brought near. Here I mean the knowledge of unveiling, which is interpreted as a light that appears in the heart when it is cleansed and purified of blameworthy traits. Through that light, certain matters are unveiled. So this is kind of like the idea that we left off on. That, uh, if you recall, I had said essentially that if the, the, the we have the idea of the uh, the physical sight and the inner sight. So the physical sight is so the easiest way to think about it is to draw the parallels or the analogies. So the physical sight we give the example if you're in the library and you turn off all of the lights and it's pitch dark and you look around the room you can't really see anything. All you see is darkness. And if you add a little bit of light, then you can start to distinguish that there's like there's something on the wall, and there's probably something around like mid waist level, whatever. And then you add a little bit more light, and as you have more and more light, you can begin to distinguish more and more what it is that's around you until everything becomes clear, right? And basically, what he's saying is that there's a there's a knowledge and an understanding that ha- it's seated in the heart, and it works the same way. So you may, like we could, and this is part of why, like yesterday, I I had that little thing where I went off on a tangent about like uh, how we kind of like we studied the text together and it's not meant to be entertaining in a sense, like inshallah it'll be interesting, but 
probably not entertaining. And the goal is that each person that comes has to engage with their heart what they're hearing. And if they don't, then there's not going to be a whole lot of benefit anyways. It's not really going to lead to any sort of transformation. And that is, so the reason why you say that is because you could come to lectures over and over and over and over and over again. And hear similar things over and over and over again. You hear about the love of Allah, and you hear about fear of Allah, and you hear about holding yourself accountable, and you hear about worship and what worship is, and all of this kind of stuff. And unless the light in the heart is increasing, the understanding of that thing never changes. You just see like, oh, okay, it's prayer. But something sometimes happens in the person's life that all of a sudden, there's like a light that gets sparked. And then they hear the same thing and they're like, oh, that was so profound. Sometimes when people come and they say that, they're like, oh, you said that thing. And it was like, it just, it's as if it, it clicked, you know? And I'm like, and I always think in my head, they probably heard this thing 500 times before. Mm-hmm. Like, they probably have. It's not an issue of like, that I said something special. It's an issue of something changed in that person's heart. And because something changed in their heart, they heard something differently than they heard it before. So it's just, th- but the light of the heart increases. That's the mukashifa. It's the unveiling. So the idea is that all of these things that are take us away from Allah, like our sins and our desires and all of this kind of stuff, they're like veils that block our heart from witnessing God. And as those veils are lifted and lifted and lifted and lifted, then the heart can see more clearly. It's essentially what he's getting at. Allahu alam. That's, or at least I should say that's my understanding of what he's getting at. <coughs> says on the top of 51 we mean by the knowledge of unveiling that the cover is raised until the evident truth in these matters manifests itself as clearly as if it were seen by the, by the eye leaving therein no doubt whatsoever this is the this is a potential within the essential nature of the human being were not the mirror of the heart covered with layers of rust and the dross of impurities that accumulated from this worldly existence so this is the point that i was just making right that the heart has the ability to witness god that's the heart's essential capacity. That's what it was created for. That's what it already experienced. The soul, or maybe we should say the soul. And the ar- soul already knows God in the first place. But the soul is now in this physical body. And all of the constraints of this physical body are creating barriers between the soul and its knowing its Lord. And so we, come, we, we struggle to overcome those. Uh, he says, he keeps going, but he says, um, actually... In particular, he continues, in particular we intend by the knowledge of the path of the hereafter the means of polishing this mirror from the impurities that make up the veil between us and God the Most High and prevent our realization of his attributes and acts. The the image that they often use is the image of polishing the mirror. It's the image that doesn't make sense to any of us, right? Because we don't polish mirrors. Does anyone here polish a mirror? Has anyone ever polished a mirror? Yeah, you clean them. But has anyone ever like polished a mirror? Yeah, old mirrors are different than ours. <laughs> so you have to actually like rub them and polish them in order to keep them clean in order for them to like it takes a work for the mirror to actually reflect. Ours ours are different than what they used to have. So the analogy that they always use is this analogy of the mirror that one has to really rub the mirror and you know, sometimes agitate it a little bit in order to get it clean. Um So he says uh 
Assuredly, the purification and cleansing of the heart are attained by renouncing desires and following the examples of the prophets. So this is the path. You renounce desires, you follow the way of the prophets. May the blessings of God and His peace be upon them and all of their states. Thus commensurate with what is burnished from the heart and with its turning in the direction of the truth, God's realities will gleam in it. The only means to Him is with the application of spiritual discipline, the elucidation of which will follow in its proper place and through knowledge and learning. So basically, the person has to learn, they have to gain knowledge, and they have to apply it, and they have to rub their soul and their heart and clean it until it becomes more clean and pure. And then the knowledge, and then as in so much as they're able to do that, it will reflect more truly the those lights that that are the reflection of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and His those realities. He says this is not the knowledge written in books. Mm -hmm. Nor does one graced with something of it speak openly of it, except with people similar to him who are associated with him through counsel or in secret. So basically, what he's getting at here is that some people, their view on the world is extremely materialistic. And you start talking about these kind of things, and they just think you're a nutcase. So you have to be careful. <laughs> Essentially, is what he's saying. <laughs> like you can't just like talk about these things with everyone. And this is only the generality of it. It's like what they actually, what you, what a person actually experiences. You have to be very careful. And that's you know even that's the way of the prophets. Prophets didn't like speak about these things a lot. They didn't speak uh, in a whole lot of detail. Actually, they didn't really speak about like what it means to. You know, they give you like a. Uh, something that gives you a glimpse that there's more but they, they don't dive into it because if either you take it and you experience it or you don't there's nothing to talk about yeah. this is I think hard for us sometimes be because we go to school too long and we're too dedicated to ideas rather than practice so we just think like everything is I just get more ideas and it'll it'll fix it figure itself out no it's not always that you need to get more ideas you know, for example, if someone's like really good at archery, just an example, they're not going to, uh, and they want to teach you archery, they're not going to just like tell you read a bunch of books and you're going to figure it out. Like you're not going to figure it out. Any, uh, even even like a lot of skills, even medicine, like any anything that has like some art to it. And life is there's some art to it. Uh, how to how to know God? There's some art to it. Like it, you can't learn it like that. It has to, it has to be there has to be practice. He says in the footnote, this is the case because it is the knowledge of unveiled experiences which you grasp through witnessing, not from evidence and logical demonstration. It is also the case that what is written in books falls into the hands of deserving and undeserving people. If someone is not one of the people who have realized it, then he falls into tremendous confusion on which lie many levels of corruption. And this is also one of the issues, right? Is that now everyone has access to everything. All books, everything, everyone has access to. So they're like, oh, what can I read? And they just go and they read whatever they feel like. And then it doesn't make any sense to them. There's even, uh, I mean, this has happened to me before. There's a brother, he was visiting and I was like, he asked about some book in the bookshop. I was like, yeah, don't read that one. Like, we'll come to it later, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then he went and read it. <laughs> and like, alhamdulillah, he got through it. Later on, he really. Later on, he told me he's like, you told me not to read that book. I went and read it, and like, it did kind of confuse me a little bit. And now it makes sense to me. Like, it just, you know, <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> but it falls into people's hands, and then they make problems with it. Because again, it's an ex like religion is not just knowledge. Religion is experience, and it's it's knowing God. So it's not just like you need to finish all of these things. You need to actually, the heart needs to develop. In any case, uh, 
Second category, so that's all in and mukashifa, the knowledge of the unveiling, right? The second category is the knowledge of actions and interactions and engagements and how do you do things and practical conduct, practical conduct. And this is also these are uh, also knowledge of the states of the heart and so on. So on. This is actually, by the way, you know, this breakdown that he's giving here is also something that's often missed in in the community discourse on spirituality. So usually when we talk about spirituality in the community and then everyone says, okay, well, we're going to call it tezkiyah. And we call it tezkiyah, so, you know, refining the soul and purifying the soul and so on. That only really refers to part two, second category. Second category is the knowledge of the way of the hereafter, is the knowledge of practical conduct, and it comprises the knowledge of the states of the heart. So it's like the end of this book, which is there's fear and there's hope and there's love and there's greed and there's anger and there's all of these things and this is how you get rid of them and this this is the entirety of so even the conversation on spirituality is materialistic in a sense <laughs> like it it deals with the the f the kind of the material things not the experiential things and you know i hope that makes sense is anyone confused by what i'm saying right now do we need to okay yeah, I mean, Ihsan is related to to worship Allah as if you see Him, and and though you don't see Him, you know that He sees you. This is this is experience. This yeah. is experience. Yeah, that's a knowledge of the heart. Subhanallah. In that hadith, it's it's the first part is experience. The second part is uh, how. And what you uh, say? Real. Mm -hmm. So to worship Allah as if you see Him, and if you can't. That no, that he sees you. That he sees you. Mm. That's, that's like your behavior. Mm. Like it is, it is the, mm. the means of. I, in that statement, there's category one and category yeah. two. SubhanAllah. People, the first part, some people would just skip over it. Like yeah, they, yeah, they skip over it, even in the way you translate it. Right? Oftentimes it's, it's translated or talked about in a way as if the first is not possible, so you just. And if you don't see him, it doesn't mean that like you can actually witness God, the heart. I don't know what that would be like, but that's what everyone says. And you know, so we just skip it because like we can't even comprehend that we're we're in our own materialistic realm, you know. Which is you know, this is not a bad thing. Again, this is not like that doesn't mean someone's not gonna attain salvation or something like that. This is category two that's a matter of salvation. Right, it's to know this is bad and this is good, and I'm not supposed to hate people, and I'm supposed to love people, and I'm not supposed to be greedy and like arrogant and all that. So that's all. It's all knowledge that's important, and we then we have to act upon it. Inshallah. Hmm. Knowledge of the boundaries of these matters. So. Uh, these things that I was just talking about. So he 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 goes and he lists in, in this part right before that I'm skipping over, like a bunch of the things you're supposed to know: good character, good relationships, uh, the signs of that, open hand, generosity, kindness, contentment. Um, he talks about the bad things: anger, conceit, enmity, hatred, passionate craving, insolence, love of longevity, uh, different things. You know. Violent self-defense in the face of humiliation. <laughs> this is interesting, but he lists a bunch of them. It's really it's kind of long, and they, and it comes later in the book. 
Then he says, the knowledge of the boundaries of these matters, their realities, causes, fruits, and influence are all aspects of the knowledge of the hereafter. According to the ruling of the scholars of the hereafter, knowledge of these is an individual obligation. Individual obligation. So to know, like, okay, all of those things in the heart, you know, on Sunday we cover the diseases. That's one side of it. So the diseases of the heart is one side of that individual knowledge. So the basic, basic foundation of individual obligation knowledge is what do we believe about God, what do we believe about the prophets, and what do we believe about the unseen, essentially. That's one, that's theology. And then basic rules of how to do the things that I'm going to do, whatever they might be. Obviously prayer, fasting are the uh, first steps of that. There's an interesting thing Imam Zaid said recently, that uh, like for someone who's an activist in some realm, then, uh, oh, thank you. Um, yeah, he said that, and he he wrote like a, a prologue intro type thing to Imam Dawood Walid's book on towards sacred activism. So in it, he said that like basically, if someone's an activist in some field the knowledge of what they need to know in the Sharia related to that topic in that field is an individual obligation upon them now. Because that's the way that everything in Islam works. If you're gonna, Whatever field you're going to go into, now the knowledge that you have to know about how to deal with God in that realm is an individual obligation on you. So that's, that's the number two category. Number three category is the individual obligation of uh, these matters of the heart. Allah, his writing's very powerful. Anyone who turns his back on these matters is doomed to perdition by the might of the king of kings in the hereafter. In the same manner that anyone who denies the outward obligations perishes by the sword of the sultans of this world according to the ruling of the jurist of this world. According to the jurist, the individual obligation relates to one's being well-being in this world, while according to the scholars of the hereafter, this individual obligation relates to one's well-being in the hereafter. So basically, as we talked about before, the fiqh deals with Fiqh is a knowledge of the hereafter, in a sense, because it's the way that we attain Allah's pleasure. But it's also essentially how to organize the physical world that we live in. So that will help us to deal with the physical world and uh, this this life and the knowledge of the heart and everything else will help us to deal with the next life. It's interesting, actually, because this, w- actu- I'm going to read this because this, I believe, is exactly what I was just saying about um, like how we even... So essentially, as I've said over and over again, but I think that it's, it's so important that I'm going to repeat it again, is that the Hadith Jibreel that Ahmed was mentioning, Hafidhullah, is uh, the foundation of the religion. Hadith Jibreel, Jibreel salam comes to the Prophet Sallallahu and he asks him, what is Islam, what is Iman, what is Ihsan? When he asks him, what is Iman, he tells him the, f- the articles of faith to believe in God and angels and books and messengers and when he asks him about what is Islam he tells him the five pillars when he asks him about Ihsan he tells him to worship Allah as if you see him and if you don't see him then to know that he sees you and then he asks him about the end of time he tells him you know some of the signs and the hadith essentially ends this three three part categorization of Islam Iman Ihsan is the foundation of the entire paradigm of Islamic thought and civilization and everything everything is based on this so there's like a, a pretty interesting 
I think it was a postdoc research paper. If anyone has ProQuest, you can probably find it. Um, on Imam al-Bajuri, rahimahullah. Imam al-Bajuri was one of the really like famous and uh, sheikhs of al-Azhar. And probably, I want to say like in the realm of 200 years ago-ish. I don't know if anyone knows. Amr, do you know? I think it's yani, 200-ish years ago. And uh, it says it's, it says this is that Imam al-Bajuri as a study of the archetypical Sunni scholar, and like the like as in what 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 came to be understood as this is the archetype of Sunnism, and he talks about him in light of this hadith and in light of Islam Iman Ihsan and how he was a scholar of all of these areas and he wrote in all of them and he taught in all of them and so on. And that's like how how the whole thing is supposed to be. Now. In our modern period, we have a very interesting phenomenon, which is that essentially we took out the heart and we took out the mind because we determined that our minds weren't good enough and Western minds were better. So we'll just use their minds and we won't use our intellectual tradition. We'll use their intellectual tradition because they were able to develop superior weapons faster than we were. So that must mean that they knew better everything about all existence. So we use their intellectual frameworks and their mind and their all of everything. And then we took out the heart because the heart is like some fairy tale stuff, right? And then all we did, all that was left was material actions, it's fiqh or Islam. So essentially, then what we had was what we ended up with was a religion that was supposed to be a three-legged stool that only has one leg. And so much of our interaction with our religion is like that. So much of everything, like how are we raised as Muslims? We're raised as Muslims. Do this, don't do that. That's it. It's the entirety of the whole thing. Do this and don't do that. It's only it's only Islam with the lowercase i. The the ideas behind it that are in iman. Iman is an idea, right? Like I believe in God. What does that mean, and why? And like that's why Ilman Kanam, the the field of theology was the field that dealt with all of the intellectual challenges of the Muslim civilization. Was Ilman Kanam, right? So there is a reductionism that takes out Ilman Kanam too. We don't need that. All we need is like. You know, God is one and the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Okay, great. Then why did all these people come up with it? <laughs> like, why do we have 1,300 years of Kanam tradition if that was unneeded, right? And so, so all of it then became very, very much crippled. Amr, were you going to say something? Or? I remember in an Azhar school in Egypt, they used to say um, that Islam is the science of the body and how to fix the actions coming out of it. And the Iman is the science of the mind and how to fix the thoughts coming out of it. And Ihsan is the science of the heart and how to fix the feelings coming out of it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So so then what happens then? Even for like me, the entire, almost the entirety of my religious education, and it's not necessarily the fault of where I went to school, it's more the fault of me than it is where I went to school actually. Because an Azhar is one of the places that will very clearly emphasize these three. Right, but my my mindset was a mindset that only cared about Islam, so all I studied was Sharia. There's nothing else. Theology didn't spend any time in theology. Tasawwuf, Tazkiyah didn't spend any time in these things. All of it's all of it's Sharia, right? So then, what happens? You get to this point on the bottom of 53. If one were to ask a jurist the meaning of one of these terms, even simply about sincerity, for example, or trust in God, or how to guard oneself against pretension he would be at a loss to respond, even though it is an individual obligation that if neglected means perdition in the hereafter. 
But were you to question him about the allegations of adultery, divorce by repudiation, or the permissibility of waging, wagering or on racing and archery, he would set forth for you in minute detail volumes of explanations that would take ages and of which there is not the slightest need. And should there be a need, no, re no region lacks someone to fulfill this duty and spare the jurist the burden and fatigue of his studies. Yes, he ceases not to worry himself day and night, memorizing and studying, all the while ignoring that which in itself is essential to religion. Should he then be consulted on this, he would say, I have occupied myself with it because it is the knowledge of religion and a communal obligation. Thus he has confused the matter for himself and for others with his pretext. Which is basically to say, you spent all the time in the communal obligation and you neglected the individual one. You didn't understand it or know it. And even if whatever you knew about it was so superficial that you can't really do anything with it. On the bottom of the page he says, Woe to us, all trace of the knowledge of religion has been obliterated by the fraudulent behavior of the scholars of evil. God is our sole supporter. In him we seek refuge that he may protect us from this deceitfulness that incurs the anger of the merciful and the pleasure of Satan. It used to be that the conscientious people among the scholars of outward knowledge recognized the excellence of the scholars of inward knowledge and masters of the art of polishing hearts. This is a really important statement. Really, really important statement. So they would, even if they were expert in outward knowledge, which, like the stories and things that he's going to say, and like compared to our time, these, so these people who are experts in the outward knowledge are like, would be beyond experts in the inward knowledge, <laughs> right? And if we were, but in their time, they were just considered outward knowledge experts because you had other people who were so amazing. <coughs> we will pray, Maghrib, don't worry, inshallah, just a couple minutes. So he says, it used to be that the conscientious people among the scholars of outward knowledge recognized the excellence of the scholars of inward knowledge and masters of the art of polishing hearts. So these are not the same. These are not the same people. Right. And this is another thing that we tend to believe, is we tend to believe that anyone who has studied is automatically righteous and good. This is assumption number one. And number two thing that we assume is that anyone who has studied is actually capable of helping me to become better. And those are two different things, two entirely different things. Number one is, that, is the distinction between knowledge and action. People can gain a lot of knowledge and not actually do anything about it. This is number one reality. Number two is there are scholars of ta'lim and there are scholars of tarbiyah. And sometimes there are scholars of ta'lim and tarbiyah. They're less common, but they also exist. Which means that there are scholars who are able to teach outward knowledge. And there are scholars who are able to help you rectify your actual inward condition. And then there are some who are able to do both. Right? So we shouldn't assume, is my point. I think we, we, tend, we generally tend to assume that anyone who has the title of Imam or anyone who has the title of Shaykh or anyone who gives like any lecture that we find inspiring at any point in time is is all of these things all together. And you know, it's nice of us to think of people that way, <laughs> but it's also quite dangerous uh, because then we end up putting our trust in places that it may not be deserving of the, having that trust. So he gives some examples. Imam al-Shafi'i radiallahu anhu would sit before Shaybanu al-Ra'i like a boy in a school and ask him how one should act in this situation and that. This is Imam al-Shafi'i, right? Imam al-Shafi'i, I mean, like, it's hard, actually, it's hard to explain who these people were. <laughs> like, it's, it's so hard for us because we don't see stuff like that, right? But 
there's actually a section on here where he goes into it's like we're probably eight nine pages away from it where he goes into the Scot the four imams or he goes into Imam Shafi in a lot of detail and some of the other ones and like some of the things they said and some of the things that they did and like to really get a feel for who these people were and that they were people of inward knowledge and outward knowledge so uh, anyways Imam Shafi would sit before Shaban Rai like a boy in a school and ask him how one should act in this situation and that when it was said to him a scholar of your reputation questions this Bedouin he would reply this man has been given that which we have neglected this man has been given that which we neglected so he recognized, like, uh, yeah, I have, I'm an imam, right? He's not going to say that out of, like, humility and stuff, but he's an imam uh, with a capital I, meaning not board appointed, like, appointed by the community of righteous and amazing and scholarly people in his time period, imam, and, and understood as such for the rest of history, <laughs> essentially, right? And he's saying, I'm going to sit in front of this person because this person has something that we neglected. I mean, that's really remarkable. Ahmed ibn Hanban, also one of the four Imams, right? And Yahya ibn, it should say Ma'in. If you have the English in front of you, it should say Ma'in. M-A, not M-U. Yahya ibn Ma'in and Ahmed ibn Hanban were contemporaries and they were both great scholars of hadith. It says they kept company with Ma'roof and Karhi. Ma'roof and Karhi, who was known to be one of the great pious people who in the knowledge of the outward was not their peer and they learned from him by asking questions right so they would go to him even though they had like their knowledge of hadith far exceeds him their knowledge of quran far exceeds his his knowledge of the statements of the scholars and the analysis and all it far exceeds this person's knowledge but they're going to go to ma'roof because there's something he has in his heart that they feel he, he has something we don't have and i'm going to go to him and ask him questions and learn from him why should this not be the case when the Messenger of Allah وسلم, was asked, What should we do if a matter comes to us that we have not found in the Quran and Sunnah? He said, Ask the righteous and decide based on the counsel on the counsel among themselves. Thus it has been stated, the scholars of outward knowledge are the adornment of the earth and the terrestrial realm, while the scholars of inward knowledge are the adornment of the heavens and the kingdoms. Allah. That's really beautiful. Hmm. Yeah. So thus it has been stated the scholars of outward knowledge are the adornment of the earth and the terrestrial realm, while the scholars of inner knowledge are the adornment of the heavens and the kingdoms. The kingdoms not like the physical kingdoms, the celestial kingdoms. The uh Malakut probably this is the problem with translation. You don't know. It's probably Malakut. I would assume. It's Malakut. The like the beautification, the they're like the uh, they're like what they're the most beautiful thing and f like the most beautiful thing in the earthly realm is the people who know exactly how to do things properly in the earthly realm which is the knowledge of religion and the most beautiful of thing in the spiritual realm is the people who know this inner spiritual realities they're the adornment of all of existence so this is probably Manakut, uh in in the kind of like there's a really good word for this, and I'm, it's not coming right now. But in the um, like, scholars will they have levels of existence essentially? I don't know. There's probably a really good way to explain this. I don't know if it's going to make any sense, but I'll try. Like the physical realm of existence is the mulk, 
the mulk and that's like the physical you know walls things outward ruling so on and so forth and the layer kind of like above that in a sense is the malakut and that's the spiritual realm or the realm of the archetype or the uh, imaginary realm not like fake imaginary but imaginary and like it's uh, it's like a layer higher um even by the way western people had this kind of understanding too pre-enlightenment so and it was enlightenment and all that stuff that brought the reductionism into into the perception of existence which made everything material realm you take out these other layers of existence so anyways third so they're the they're the adornment of the heavens and the malakut the spiritual realm junaid said sari asqati who was junaid's teacher junaid is in like in an azhar for example they'll say that our 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 imams in in aqidah are abul hasan and ash'ari and abul mansur and maturidi the ash'ari and maturidi schools in aqidah and our imams in fiqh are abu hanifa and shafi'i and malik and ahmed ibn hanbal and our imams in, and our imam in spirituality is junaid that's this person junaid <laughs> one <laughs> i mean everyone's tied to junaid all of the all of the other people that everyone will talk about they're all tied to junaid but junaid is like he's the one junaid said sari asqati my teacher asked me when you leave me with whom do you sit i said an muhasibi to which he replied yes take from him his knowledge and exemplary conduct dispense however with his hair splitting over matters of theology and his refutation <laughs> of its theologians then when i departed i heard him saying may god make you a partisan of hadith who is a sufi and not a sufi who is a partisan of hadith oh man i shouldn't have read that one before maghrib <laughs> uh so he pointed out Basically, Imam Ghazali comments on it. He pointed out, the one who acquires hadith and knowledge, then takes the Sufi path, will succeed. While one who takes the Sufi path before acquiring knowledge is gambling with his soul. And by the Sufi path, I mean, everyone in all of Muslim history didn't have, like, was, they didn't have an issue with the idea of tasawwuf. They had an issue with extremism in tasawwuf. Which means, like, t the tasawwuf has to be within the bounds of the Quran and the Sunnah within the bounds of the scholarly tradition. Junaid is the one who said that. Junaid said, Tariquna hadha muqayyidun bin kitabi wa sunnah. That this path of ours, this path of spiritual development, is delineated by the Qur'an and the sunnah. If you're going to go out of it, then it's not the sawaf anymore. In, Western, in the Western existence, it's so funny now, like in the West, you have all these people who are Sufis, they're not even Muslims. They call themselves Sufis, they're not Muslims. This path of ours is the Quran and the Sunnah. <laughs> like it's not. There's a little bit of a problem there. And then you see people talking about like, oh, I'm a Sufi, but I'm not a Muslim. And like, Sufism is the mystical sect of Islam. And so, no, what are you talking about? Sufism is Islam is Islam iman ihsan, and there's ihsan. Like <laughs> it's and the, they called it, some people called it ihsan, some people called it tasawwuf, some people called it tazkiyah, some people called it zuhud, some people called it whatever. But it's all the same. It's the issues of the heart. If it goes outside of the box of the scholarly interpretation and you can't make an argument for it, with the practice in the Sharia and in the Quran and in the Sunnah and everything else, it may have al-Bahr. doesn't have anything to do with us. Just throw it out. So if it's still a problem, I don't know what to tell someone. So if I ever use the word Sufi or Sufism, this is the realm inside of the Quran and the Sunnah. If it's outside of the Quran and Sunnah, it doesn't have anything to do with us anyways. But that's what he's talking about here. right? 
So he pointed out that the one who acquires hadith and knowledge then takes the path of Sufism will succeed. So basically what it's saying is, person has to found themselves in knowledge. If they just think that they're going to travel this path towards God and attain these spiritual realities and live this life that's like floating in the skies and whatever, and they don't have any knowledge that's grounding it, they're going to go astray. That's what he's saying. His, his teacher, Samarati, <coughs> is he like the, what, what kind of teacher is he? Sidi, he's, he's his spiritual teacher. Yeah. He's, uh, he's his sheikh, basically. <coughs> yeah, he's the shams to... He's the shams to his roomie <laughs> to use that. Or you know, everyone had them, by the way. Abu Hanifa. I don't know if he mentions it in here, but anyways, Abu Hanifa had Jafar al-Sadiq. There's a lot, a lot of stuff. The point is, it has to be grounded. But if you take the spiritual path without acquiring knowledge, then they're gambling with their soul. And <coughs> uh, this is what also is mentioned in like the. Um, there's a statement that's attributed to Imam Malik. I don't know if it's actually his statement or not, but it's often attributed to him. And it says that من تفقه ولم يتصوف فقد تفسق ومن تصوف ولم يتفقه فقد تزندق that the person who they learn the fiqh and all of these type of things and they don't learn the spiritual issues he uses the word tasawwafa related to the spiritual they learn the outward and they don't learn the inward they become corrupt because it's actually very dangerous is when you know outward knowledge you can, you can make excuses for almost anything and I've seen it Make people they 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 make excuses for themselves in almost anything. Oh no, this is this is, in the so and so says this opinion, this opinion is so and so. What I did, it's perfectly fine. You can't say that I did is wrong. And you're like, and like, it's in front of you. Like, how are you gonna say that it's okay? Like, this is just completely nefs. You're gonna argue that this is okay. Yeah, you can argue, but it's not. I mean, it's, uh, how do you slap the sense into someone like that? Omar had his ways. Omar ibn Khattab radiAllahu anhu. He had his ways. It involved a stick. Someone like that. <laughs> you don't understand? Like, How am I going to make you understand? <laughs> like, it's amazing. And then, uh, and then he says on the other side of it, that if the person does the spiritual stuff and they don't learn the outward knowledge, then they'll, they'll become uh, a heretic, essentially. They'll become heretical. They'll have all these ideas that are weird and they're off the whatever. But the person who takes the outward and they take the inward, then they will actually realize the truth, like the true path of, of what it means to, to, you know, know God and so on and so forth. So let's pray.